Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Spring is calling and Target's ready with deals for your outdoor space. Grab miracle Grow Potting Mix on sale at two for $8. Plus get 20% off planters and more. Find spring's best outdoor buys at Target, where low prices and great deals make it easy to save. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. Presented by Wix.com, Visit Arizona, and SeatGeek. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of February 18th, 2019. This might be weird, but... I'm on vacation. Yes, right now, while you are listening to this episode, I am currently on a cruise ship recharging my batteries to get ready for the 2019 season. But we love you guys, and we love how much you support Sox Machine, so we didn't want to leave you hanging while I was on vacation. So these next two weeks, we'll have guests and position previews. This episode, I'll be previewing the White Sox outfielders With Patrick Nolan, other than Eloy Jimenez, will anyone else have a good year in the outfield? Is Adam Engel still a starter in center field? Who is starting in right field? There's a lot of questions, and Pinoles and I try to provide realistic answers to all of them. But first, we have a special guest. There was a lot of outcry when ESPN released their top 100 Major League Baseball prospect lists and team rankings because, well, the White Sox weren't in the top five. They were 13th. That shocked a lot of folks. So to help explain his thinking behind the rankings, we've invited Keith Law from ESPN on the show, and he'll sit down with Jim Margulis to discuss his thoughts about the White Sox farm system, his ranking process, and why fans should still be excited about the near future. A quick word from our sponsor, Wix.com. Let's say you run a small business or thinking about launching one, or you have a big event upcoming like a wedding, or maybe you want to get your voice heard and decide to launch your own blog or podcast. You'll need a website to help launch, and there is no better place to get started than at Wix.com. Over 140 million people use Wix for their website because it's easy to get started and publish for free. You can choose from 500 stunning templates, or if you have some design chops, you can make your own from scratch. With built-in SEO tools, you can get your website found online easily on Google, and every site is automatically optimized for any device, whether you're looking at it from a PC or mobile device. Wix even has built-in tools like storage, custom domains, custom email addresses, marketing tools, and e-commerce. With a dedicated support team, Wix can help you launch a complex website to help you run your entire business or a simple place for you to share your talents to the world. Whatever you are dreaming of, you'll need a website, and Wix can help. Get started now by going to Wix.com, that's W-I-X.com slash podcast to get 10% off when you upgrade your site. 
Joining me now on the Sox Machine podcast is Keith Law, who earlier this month published his top 100 and something prospect list, along with the top farm system list and a few other things for ESPN.com, and he's here to defend their honor. Thanks for joining us, Keith. And first question, how has the recovery been from ranking season? Uh, it's good. Um, it's exhausting. The, the season itself is, is exhausting, but I uh, this year kind of changed my process a little bit, ended up uh, finishing earlier than I might normally have, and with a little less phys- – it was less physically taxing, hmm. but I was still exhausted. So I took a day or two to just kind of get stuff done at home, and then took off for California for uh, four days to go visit friends and get out of the cold, which was nice because we got six inches of snow here in Delaware, and I was walking around Los Angeles in short sleeps. Oh, same here. I'm up in upstate New York, except I had a shovel, so a bit different there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess we'll start. Um, I came home to I – I was just saying I came okay. home to uh, yesterday and had to shovel the driveway. Ah, that's nice. Ha-ha. <laughs> <Suck it. laughs> um, so I guess we'll start with, I guess, the most controversial of your rankings, and that's placing the White Sox uh, overall number 13 on the top farm system list. list. Last year you had them at number four, and I think most White Sox fans had more or less considered the uh, system top five without much of a thought. You give it a lot more thought relative to the rest of the league. So did your own opinion surprise you, like when you started sorting them all out, or did you have an idea all along that the system took a hit? Uh, my, it absolutely surprised me and because, and I, I have unusual, I don't know that this is proof, but I have, a, I guess, an anecdote, which is when I start the farm system rankings, because that piece runs before the team by team rankings, I have to write it beforehand. And so mm-hmm. I sketched it out, um, you know, I actually sit down by that point, I've already written the top 100 and I have all my notes from team sources and scouts and obviously my own notebook. And I sit down and I, Sketch out the top, the, all the ranking all 30 farm systems, and then uh, I write a draft of that piece. That of course I'll, I, I may change as I continue working. And originally, I did have the White Sox quite a bit higher, maybe mm-hmm. somewhere in six, seven, eight range. And then as I started writing up all the farm systems, including writing up the White Sox, I realized this system is a lot thinner than I realized. I mean, one, they've had some graduations, obviously, and that that hurts. Um, because, you know, players like Moncada, Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, they don't count anymore because they've, they're have they already in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also that, and I pointed this out in the, in the write-up, uh, their drafts have been a little less successful, mostly because it's just kind of a conservative approach that they've had to take, uh, which I, I believe sort of comes from the top down there, that they're uh, focused, particularly uh, focusing like on college position players high in the draft. And also they've for reasons I don't know, the White Sox has done basically nothing on the international front for a long time now. And if you look at my top 10, I think maybe nine of the top 10 teams have pretty significant prospect, uh, I don't know what you say, prospect value, prospect inventory from that July 2nd international free agent market. And the White Sox have almost none. I think Micker Adolfo is their only guy in their top 15. Yeah, Luis Roberts. Through, oh, second. Yes, you can't. Yeah, you know what? He's like... I guess I sort of put him in his own category as a yeah. Cuban free agent, but you're right. He did technically sign through that channel. So that's your, you are absolutely correct. I tend to mentally put him in a different yeah, bucket. Well, and, that, but the, and, the, and more like the penalty mm-hmm. he carries too, like not allowing them to, or limiting them to $300,000 signings for two years after he signed. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of the reason. Yep. Yeah. Which hurts, which hurts, but it seems like they have not done as much. You don't hear about them signing one to $2 million 16 year olds mm-hmm. out of the Dominican Republic or Venezuela there may be very good reasons for that, but all I can say is the result. You know, to go back to your original question, why are they ranked 13th instead of you know six, seven, eight? One big reason is they just don't have that stock of players acquired through that international market, where most teams do. Most teams play more in that particular end of the market, and then end up whether they're even you know particularly good or or not so good at finding prospects on that market, usually you find somebody, you sign enough players there, you will come up with some prospects that we're in. And the White Sox just have largely made the choice not to. And I think that has also hurt them uh, in addition to the graduations and drafts that are not necessarily bad. I don't want people to think I'm criticizing their drafts. I just think they're very conservative. Yeah, well, I, th- I think part of it, you know, that goes all the way back to the Dave Wilder skimming scandal that really wrecked mm-hmm. their, farm system, uh, their international system. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, like a lot of guys just haven't quite panned out. I think Mike Rodolfo, uh, 
Uh, this might be a different conversation if they still had Fernando Tatis Jr., but uh, alas, yeah, they do yeah, not. I figured I wasn't going to bring that one up. That's very kind of you. But yeah, Mike Rodolfo would be the first <laughs> of this new Marco Patti-driven system to crack the wall mm-hmm. between uh, the Caribbean and AA, which is concerning. And uh, you know, Luis Robert, hopefully, you know, spending all that money on him will go a long way to correct that. But if uh, yeah. it doesn't, then there's not much there. And, yeah, I was looking at the other you know, teams ranked ahead of them, and the Indians surprised me, and I think that might be the difference between the White Sox and Indians in your rankings compared to others. I think, at least based on my interpretation, you really seem to like the projectability there from the lower levels. Yes. The, Cleveland had the best AZL team uh, in just in terms of total number of prospects, total upside, and it was a very strong mixture of draft guys and of July 2nd guys. Mm-hmm. I will also say Cleveland, too, their draft last year uh, lined up particularly well with my personal pre-draft ranking too, and that's uh, you know, we're not at a point now. Obviously, these players don't pan out, and I was wrong on Bo Naylor or uh, Lenny Torres. Mm-hmm. That'll hurt their ranking in the future. But for right now, what we basically have on those guys is, hey, I love these guys last spring, and. We have a little more data on Naylor, who played very well in the AZL. I think Torres threw something like 12 innings, so there's really nothing new on him. So I, when we don't have a lot of new information on those guys, I kind of hold to where I had them prior to the draft, and that really boosted Cleveland, in addition to the fact that they had Brian Rocchio, who had an unbelievable summer, George Valera, who was hurt for a good chunk of the summer but has enormous upside. They've done a lot more in the July 2nd market. We tend to think of Cleveland as generally being cheap, mm-hmm. um, which they can be on the major league level, but they've spent on the international market. And so far, at least, it looks like they've done pretty well. They even managed to trade another one of those prospects in a, a, a rare prospect-for-prospect prospect deal, which I love, that netted them Oscar Mercado, who's more of a major league-ready potential center fielder who could play a lot in Cleveland this year. And another guy who I just particularly liked for a few years. It's a little hard for me when ranking systems too, because obviously I rank, I see the players, right? I I see a lot of the players and I, I evaluate them and I rank them. There are always certain teams that it's just, we're on the same guys. I think Cleveland, they look at players a lot like the way that I look at players. Hmm. So if I'm wrong, kind of directionally wrong on some guys, I'm just going to be way off on Cleveland system because I like a lot of the guys that they've acquired, no matter how they've acquired them. It seems like we just like the same things in young prospects. So that's a system that I may just have higher than anyone else has them because at least right now we seem to think alike. Okay. I can see that. And then uh, I guess the other thing with the White Sox farm system is just a lot of injuries last year, uh, ravaging the top 10 and, and, and some of the guys just off the top 10. How much of that slide is attributed or how much can be reversed just by a a more normal season in terms of health? Well, I think you mentioned Luis Robert. He, and for listeners who don't know the running, I know you know this, but there's sort of a running joke that I'm not sure he actually exists because four <laughs> separate times last year, I went somewhere to watch him play and he was hurt. I was in Arizona for the fall league the one week he did not play. I actually saw him take BP, so I know he physically exists, but he didn't have a game at bat that entire week. I flew home on Sunday, and I believe the next day he was back in the lineup. But, you know, what is, it was interesting as I circulated that list to front office guys, people were telling me to move him down, and I think there's some concern over the hit tool, but more like, hey, this guy has no track record of staying healthy right now. Um and we haven't seen a lot of him. So maybe he's not quite, you know, maybe we should be more conservative in how we're assessing him at this point. Adolfo, another one where, yeah, he was hurt. He should be fine. I mean, the expectation is going to come back and he's going to be completely healthy, but he didn't get to play the field at all last year. And now he's going to, he missed some at-bats at the end of 2018. He may miss a little time. I hope he won't, but he could miss a little more time recovering at the beginning of this year. And this is a guy who, not just needs at-bats, but he might be the best example I can think of of a guy who just benefited by playing through it. He, You, you followed him. Mm-hmm. His plate discipline, his pitch recognition was atrocious when he first signed, and he's absolutely improved through experience. And so when you see a guy like that miss at-bats, you just want to be more – I just want to be a little more conservative, even though I will tell you I think he's really going to hit. But I have to – also balance that against the realism of this guy's missing time. And, you know, we don't know if he's going to arm's going to come back at a hundred percent strength, where he's going to play in the field. 
you could we could do this for a half dozen guys in their system. A good health year for them mm-hmm. could absolutely move them up. Not just in my rankings, because at the end of the day, my rankings don't matter. What matters if you're a White Sox fan is what's the value of these guys? Either what are they going to be for the big league club, or if the White Sox decide they're going to go for it and they want to go make a big trade, you know, Jake Berger doesn't really have a whole lot of value right now. If he gets out and plays a couple months this year and hits like he hit in college, he might have a lot of value very quickly. And then in maybe in July, he, he becomes an important trade piece to get something for a pennant run. Or maybe it's next offseason. But th- those guys just don't have a ton of industry value right now. Or they have less than they should because mm-hmm. of the injuries. Yeah, and if the White Sox sign Manny Machado, then they don't really have a need at third base in the farm system. And there you go. Right. Uh your, your farm rankings are a bit different. Your prospect rankings are a bit different from the others in that you're uh, you're basically one person at the front of the list. Like, you know, Baseball America has a committee, Fangraphs has a committee, uh, MLB.com has multiple voices. You, you I guess your list reflects multiple voices, but at the end of the day or when it's published, your name is on them. Uh, but I know you talk to guys and you have uh, people who see prospects and people whose opinion you trust. When having those conversations, who is the most divisive prospect among the White Sox? That's a really good question. Um, Robert was probably be the, I, I apologize, apologize if I pronounce his name six different ways in this conversation, <laughs> but I never know quite. I want to go up to ask, go up and ask him and so, all right, just say your name, but that seems weird, right? Just, yeah, I think, it's, your name, I think it's Robert. Uh, the thing is like his Robert, pronunci- yeah. the native pronunciation leaves off the T, but Americans don't really have that in their, in their, right. in their. Well, then he sounds French, right? Ah, oh, he's Louis Gobert. Yeah, he's it's more like Robert. Prospect, I, right. I, but yeah. it's a really soft yeah, when he pronounces it. But I think just Americans just call it Robert, and that's a consensus. I think the only time I've ever done that to a prospect was the South African born. He got to the big leagues eventually. Gift and Gope, mm. because it's N G O E P E. He was super nice, by the way. And I just went up to the VPA. I said, "Can you just?" I know this is a dumb question. Can you just say your last name? He laughed. He must get it all the time. Yeah. No, and I'm sure it. on some level he appreciates, right? Like you're actually trying to get my name correctly. Yeah. Uh, to say my name correctly. So anyway, he would be, yeah, he's pretty clearly the one where and I think a lot of it is talking to pro directors, assistant GMs who have ha- access to all their reports. They just had such inconsistent information. Obviously they had a lot of guys who I went in to see Winston Salem and he didn't play at all, but also he was, I want to give him more credit. I didn't really move him down in my rankings, even though some people encouraged me to do so because I'm going to say this guy was probably never healthy the entire season. So if you didn't see him put a charge in the ball the way that you expected, well, he had a hand or wrist thing that this guy we knew had power and he wasn't showing that kind of power much during the season. Well, that's a perfect explanation of why. I feel like I almost want to give him a mulligan on the season because we all think there's more ability there and then there should be more production there than we saw but if you talk to White Sox people, I know you do too, they'll tell you he was never quite 100%. He kept trying to come back. He wanted to play through it. And they had to be the ones to throw up the stop signs. So the point is to get you healthy for the long term. Mm-hmm. And so he was mostly healthy in fall league, at least. That's probably the, be- the best, the healthiest he was the entire season. But I think a lot of other clubs are sort of, there's, there's innate skepticism on Cuban position players to begin with. And then on top of that, he never really showed the full skill set over the course of the season. And so I had a lot of people saying, yeah, maybe we should pump the brakes on this one. My opinion was more, I'd kind of like to leave him in the same category where I had him. If he moves in the rankings, it's because other players move around him. But I don't think we know any more or any less about him Mm -hmm. than we did when he first signed. I hope he comes out as 500 at-bats this year and he turns into a superstar. Like That would be the ultimate outcome, that we finally see the healthy version that the White Sox thought they were signing. My guess for most divisive, at least based on the rankings I've seen, is Nick Madrigal. Uh, he's appeared anywhere mm-hmm. from like the high, uh, well, in one case 15, but you know I think the more consensus is down yeah. to like 30, 40 range. And then you had him off your top 100, and that's another guy where a hand injury seems to have some kind of impact on how he made an impact on pitches. And so uh, I'm curious in your discussions and, and back channel uh, talk, uh, mm-hmm. what's your I guess what's your feeling on how much the hand injury played a part in his uh, I guess lack of power. Well, because he has no power, right? He had no power before the hand injury. So that's the difference here. Somebody said, well, why didn't you mention the hand injury in the write-up? I could have mentioned it just as a point of fact, but 
the reality is he wasn't he never had power before he's not expected to hit for any power he's extremely small he is five seven and buck 65 or so i joke he's you know the Keith Law body type is not really ideal for a major league player. Now, he's a slightly more talented baseball player than I ever was. Um, I believe he can really hit. I believe he will hit, and I believe he's going to be perfectly fine at second base. But college second baseman without power, with no power projection, and with a much smaller frame and build than just about any current big leaguer means there's very limited ceiling. And I think I said in the write-up, I said at the time they drafted him, I had him ranked quite a bit lower than fourth overall on my draft board too, is I think this guy is a big leaguer. He is a no-doubt big leaguer. But his ceiling is very limited because he's not a shortstop and because he does not project to hit for any power. And that's true with or without the hand injury. Obviously, I think his, his exit velocity should be better next year because – he should have all his hand strength back, usually 12, 15 months after hand injury. You're back at 100% in just in terms of your strength. So I think he'll be making better quality contact, but I don't expect that there's ever going to be any kind of significant power there. Even coming into his draft, uh, draft year, going into his junior year, I was mm-hmm. talking to scouts who were questioning whether he should really be in the top 10, uh, like on my preseason ranking, and saying this is a guy who's going to have grade 35 power in the long run, somebody who hits five home runs a season in the majors at a position second base where we've kind of come to expect guys to hit 15 plus homers this season. And so it's just hard to see a path for him to become a truly above average major leaguer, unless he's hitting 330 every year. And I almost never project that for him. Unless you're Vlad Jr. I'm probably not projecting that for anybody. Yeah. I, I know when it comes to small second baseman, Dustin Pedroia and Jose Altuve come up, I'm kind of hoping more for Placido Polanco. He got a couple hall of fame. Sure. Boards. Yeah, that's right. And that's probably, first of all, it's probably a lot more realistic. So credit to you for not just saying short second baseman, Jose Altuve. No, Jose Altuve's got like a brick wall. That's slightly different. Mm. Um, that's, Polanco is a much better body comp um, and potential skill set comp, too, for Madrigal. And I would be, I don't think Madrigal's a shortstop in the long run, but if I am Chris Gatson running the White Sox farm system, I'm playing Madrigal at short a bunch of times this year. Maybe I'm trying him out a little bit in center just to think about flexibility, too. And if he can come up and be a multi-position guy where he's good enough to play every day at second base, but you want to add some other value, but, hey, we can move him around. Or, or you still have Moncada at that point. You're still waiting on him. Well, let's not let get him let him get in Madrigal's way. Mm-hmm. So if White Sox fans see Madrigal moving around the diamond, don't be alarmed. I think they would actually – I think that would be the smart move just to give him a couple of other paths to get to the big leagues – and maybe he comes up and he doesn't settle into a regular position for a year or so, but they just recognize he can hit, and he might get on base, and he can probably add some value to us in a couple of positions. Another guy who has a lot of people's heads scratching is uh, Zach Collins. And, and I think mm-hmm. with him, yeah, more or less, if he catches, fine. If he doesn't, fine. Mm-hmm. My bigger question is, you know, can he turn around a major league fastball? Uh, where do you think he yeah. stands on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm more out than in on that one. Um, you know, and I know a lot of people see the stat line. They see the, the high walk totals, and they're they're. You know, why don't you like this guy more? You like walks, right? I'm, they, you, you're a Moneyball guy. You like walks. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's not what Moneyball really was anyway. But I think a lot of his comps has a, a decent eye at the plate. But I agree with you. I don't think he can. I think because of that big hitch in his swing, I think he has a very hard time getting to real velocity. And he gets by on the fact that he recognizes balls and strikes quite well. And so he's very selective about what he swings at. But the problem is uh, when it's good stuff in the zone, I think he has a very hard time with it. And I think he will continue to have a hard time of it. And it's mechanical rather than mental. And I know the White Sox are fully aware of this and have tried to work with him to minimize. And it's very hard to just rework a guy's swing at that age, but at least to try to minimize it mm-hmm. and just have not had a lot of success so far. And then it, then I think your point is spot on. If he catches, if he doesn't catch, it probably doesn't matter unless he shows he can hit major league velocity on a regular, but somewhat regular basis. And right now I would say that's, that is less likely. And it means that we can have a discussion about what his defense is like, but it kind of doesn't matter once mm-hmm. he shows he can hit, and then hit enough to get to the other things he can do. Uh, just uh, touch on a couple guys who you didn't mention in your top, well, it turned out to be about 24 names you gave in your AL Central write-up. Um, two guys who I thought might have been notable omissions. One is Sebi Zavala. 
Easy has kind of gone up the chain along with Collins, and he's proven to be a better shot at sticking a catcher. Is the lack of a ranking due to you thinking he's more just going to be an extra catcher than somebody who can be planned in on a roster? Yeah, that was exactly. I had him as a backup catcher, and that was one where, um, you know, for some organizations, I mentioned those potential backup catchers, but it's more if there, you know, it was a high draft pick and people might potentially be looking for those guys, or if they're younger, if it's 20, 20 year old who's got some ability, I think said he's 25, he'll play 25 or 26 this year. Mm-hmm. And so on the older side, I think the only time I mentioned anyone that age or older, uh, even if I thought they were backup, was Williams Astadio for the Twins, and that's just because I love that catcher. Yeah. Who doesn't love a fat catcher, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Sebi's got to pork up a bit. Yes, exactly. He puts on 50 pounds, and then he'll make my rankings. I could absolutely see him carving on a nice career uh, as a as a as a good backup catcher. Um, who's not the you know you're not looking to replace him. When I say a good backup catcher, I mean somebody who could. You're perfectly happy if this guy has to catch 40, 50 games for you a season because of an injury or, or whatever, or because you're moving someone around to multiple positions. But I don't think there's more than that there. Okay, and then the other one, and, and I ranked him, I ranked my uh, White Sox prospect list in terms of who I would not want to see traded. So I, I put ah, more emotions and yeah. gut feeling into it. So number nine, I went with <laughs> uh, number nine went with Bryce Bush, uh, who is the only 18 year old in the system who's hitting. And he's an interesting story, cold cold weather prospect, uh, you know, who uh, lasted the 33rd round because he wanted to sign for a specific figure and the White Sox gave him what was basically fifth or sixth round money. Um, So I ranked him number nine. You didn't have him in your top 23. Uh, Is he on your radar yet or is he on uh, the radar of people you talk to? He was on my radar just because, you know, he went out and destroyed the AZL for about two weeks before he got bumped up uh, to Pioneer League, right? That's Great mm-hmm. Falls. Yep. I think there. Yeah, so he got bumped up there, and then he, then you know, he fell off. But it, of course, he was very young for the league. So I was aware of him. What I was, uh, what I got back from scouts was, we're not really sure yet. Now, I want to be clear too. First of all, nobody pushed for him. Hey, this guy's a legit prospect. We love what we saw. Nobody killed him either. And I do always worry. First year out, he was a thirty-third round pick, and of course, there's this. Your uh, like subconscious bias here. He's thirty third round. Right? He can't be good. Mm-hmm. He can't. Uh, we can't possibly have missed on this guy thirty two times. You and I both know that that happens all the time. And if he goes out next year, whether he goes right to Canapolis uh, or they have him extended some of a short season, well, I don't know how advanced he really is. But if he goes out and performs next year, everyone's going to change their minds, and then he would appear on my rankings. And and by the way, at that point, I'll have more scouting notes. I've never seen the guy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I wasn't scanning 33rd rounders last spring myself. Um, but he'll, there'll be a lot more – like, one, the bias against the guy dra- getting drafted that late will fall away. And I don't particularly care, but I know that that colors the way people talk to me about players. And then, two, we'll have a lot more scouting reports. Whatever level he's at, everyone's – most teams are scouting short-season leagues now. A lot of teams even scout extended. So – even by July of next year, I'll have a lot more notes on the player. But where I had basically nothing, like close to nothing, after uh, after the summer last year, mm-hmm. I felt it was better it was better not to rank him than to put some kind of note in there okay. that was based on insufficient information. I'd rather that's an error. I'd rather make on the conservative side and to than to and I'm fine telling people, but I just didn't really feel like I had enough information to say something cogent on the guy. Whereas like, look, if you were a first round pick, I would have had lots of information because everyone would have seen it last spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, the reason I bring him up is because I think I remember you being ahead of the curve when it came to Tatis, you know, just uh, after mm-hmm. he was traded and, and uh, you know, he appeared on higher on your Padres list than he appeared elsewhere. And that's when kind of planted in my head, like, uh Oh, <laughs> this might've been a mistake. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah. uh, well, the way, but the, on him, I had a lot of information too. I had guys who, a couple guys who'd seen him as an amateur. Um, I had reports from people who'd seen him as an amateur and liked him. Obviously, didn't think he was a superstar. And then he'd really shown well and extended. He went out and raked in the AZL. Was oh, okay, this guy's got an exceptional skill set. Um, so where I had more, I had a lot of very good information on him that I was comfortable kind of juicing him on the list a little bit. I'm fine doing that with a guy. If I had great notes on Bush from last summer, I would have. Mm-hmm put him on the list and I would have been happy to run him up the list a little bit because I'm happy to work with uh, when I have better information on a player. But in his case, 
I felt like I really didn't have enough to do so. Okay. Well, I'm hoping I'm ahead of the curve this time, and I'll be the one looking yes. for a year from now. Uh, before be I let fun. you. Uh, before I let you go, uh, and, and been very generous mm -hmm. with your time, uh, a few times a year on Sox Machine, we like to talk about what books we've read and, and uh, you know whether it's baseball or not. And uh, I, I got re recently finished Bad Blood, which was really mind blowing, just how crazy the story was and how it appears to be basically all true. Uh, what's I guess the book that's made the biggest uh, impact on your brain, like in the last couple months? Because I know you go through a ton of them. You know, I read. It's funny. I never actually wrote this book up. Um just because of time around the holidays too, but there's a book called Elastic, which is, I read mostly fiction, but this is nonfiction. Leonard Maudineau, he's a, a physicist. He actually co-wrote the grand design with uh, Stephen Hawking. Uh, he's written a couple of books on physics. Um, but Elastic is actually a book on learning, on how our brains work and how better to develop uh, what he refers to as elastic thinking, which is actually, it's not just learning, although that's a huge part of it. And that was probably what I most took out of it, but it was also about problem solving, about how to uh, change your approach to thinking so that you can find uh, different ways of looking at problems, become a more creative thinker. And I find those books fascinating to begin with. And mm -hmm. I'm just, I consider myself a lifelong learner, learner anyway, and yet there was so much material in that book. It's a book I'd like to actually reread or re-listen to actually did the audio, uh, the audio, uh, audio version of the book. There was a lot in there. There were a lot of great tips in there uh, that I hadn't thought of before. Some were things I, I do already and never really thought about them, but I'll, most were things I hadn't thought about doing. And so oh, this, these are things I can do. This is way, ways I can approach new material to uh, make myself more open-minded um, that are able to uh, to approach new problems. He even gives a lot of sort of paradoxes or, or trick questions that many people will get wrong and explains sort of why it is that our brains are just programmed to get these things wrong. There are standard type of thinking doesn't let us be more creative. And books like that, I, I love that, I particularly love them for audiobooks. books like that are cognitive psychology, you know, cognitive biases, things like that. We are, all kind of the same when it comes to our ways of the, how our brains try to assess all the information coming at us. Yet we all have basically the same capacity to do better. And we just don't learn that stuff in school. We're never really taught to think differently or to think critically. And um, I think this is one of the best books I've read in terms of helping me become a better thinker. I think it'll help me at my job. It'll just help me do more things. I like to learn. I will probably like to learn until I'm no longer able to do so. And, and this was really great and, and kind of inspiring. Like, hey, I can go learn more things now. I've learned this. I have this new skill set. I've learned a set to help me learn more. And that's, those are some of my favorite types of reads. So it's like thinking fast and slow with exercises? Yes. Well, and, and I love that book that Daniel Kahneman, for readers who don't know, listeners who don't know it, that's an, an, an amazing book. It is dense. Right? Yeah. It's a little on the academic side. And if you've ever heard him speak, he did the Hidden Brain podcast a year or so ago. He's great. He's very witty. But he, that's how he talks also. And mm. I can't recommend that book to everybody because I know a lot of people are going to read it. Like It's an academic tone. His vocabulary is, is a, uh, more on the advanced side. And I don't want to turn people – I don't want to tell people to read this book and they come back to me and they said I couldn't understand it. Then that's just a bad feeling, right? Yeah. Elastic is much more written for a – more popular audience. That's a book that just about anybody could read. And it's, it just feels more inclusive. I want to recommend, I'll tell people to read Thinking Fast and Slow if they're interested, but I like re recommending books that are like this, that feel very inclusive. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you didn't go to college or what your, you know, what your education level or skill level are like. Most people can read this book and walk away with something of value out of it, feeling like they gained something from the experience and then could be better at their jobs or their hobbies, whatever it is that they want to approach with the kind of tools that he gives you. All right. Well, that's a good note to end because it gives me a very good segue in that I gained a lot out of this discussion. So I appreciate you coming oh. on. And uh, I know White Sox fans have a, you know, maybe relative to other fan bases, have a special relationship with you for better or for worse. And uh, <laughs> appreciate you coming on to explain it because, uh, yeah, I imagine you'll be right about some things, wrong about some things, but I'm happy you came on to explain just what went behind it. And hopefully we can follow up on this later. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Next week, we'll have spring training games to talk about. But don't worry, there is still time for you to follow the Chicago White Sox 
down to Arizona for Cactus League Spring Training. Amazing weather and landscapes, exciting outdoor adventure, incredible food. Arizona is a perfect home base for baseball fans. Arizona is one-of-a-kind spring training experience with all 10 stadiums within 50 miles of Phoenix. You can check out amazing restaurants and great craft breweries like Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, or Goldwater Brewing Company, and bring the kids along as Arizona is a fantastic destination for families with resorts and hotels offering plenty of fun like water parks and horseback rides. Don't forget the bucket list items like visiting the Grand Canyon and Monument Valley. Forget dealing with this icky winter to spring transition in Chicago. Instead, go see the White Sox and make your way to Arizona. Plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. Again, that's visitarizona.com slash spring training. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever by searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value. SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget, plus every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. I use SeatGeek all of the time. I have the app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I found to shop for tickets, especially buying White Sox tickets. Or if you want to go see the Chicago Bulls or the Chicago Blackhawks, there's a bunch of concerts coming to Chicago as well. I always go to SeatGeek first to buy tickets because they have the best value and the best prices for those concerts and sporting events. And best of all, Socks Machine listeners get $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SOCKSMACHINE. That's promo code SOCKSMACHINE to save $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. We continue our 2019 position previews with a look at the White Sox outfield. The Chicago White Sox as a unit in 2018 had the worst producing outfield in Major League Baseball with a war of negative 1.2. Yes, the entire White Sox outfield performed below replacement level and was probably better suited to play in the International League than the Major Leagues. Just like we've been doing since the rebuild began, there is light at the end of the tunnel with outfield prospects on their way, including Eloy Jimenez this year. But 2019 is still a transition year, and can anyone from this group step up and not be terrible? Well, to help me preview the position group is fellow editor at SoxMachine.com. It's Patrick Nolan, but we know him in these parts as Pinoles. Hello, Pinoles. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Josh, and looking forward to hopefully a better outfield this year in 2019. Well, the first couple of questions we have about that is on that topic. Uh, the first question comes from one of our Patreon supporters, as in Rec, and they are asking, To Pinoles, is it possible to accurately preview the outfielders without using profanity? <laughs> that's, a, that's an excellent question, and I suppose we're going to find that out on this, po- on this podcast. Um, I, I think it's possible to talk about left field without using profanity, but the rest of it, maybe not. I think that it's probably a situation that calls for some cursing. Before we dive into the individuals and position battles, let's talk about the overall group and your thoughts about the outfielders. Could this group be better in 2019 than 2018? I mean, could it really be worse? I mean, <laughs> that's that's a that's such a low bar to clear. I mean, you said it yourself in the intro. We're talking about like, was it negative one point two WAR? I mean, I, I think that just an outfield containing Eloy Jimenez will not allow something disastrous to happen. Um, I think it's kind of hard to see, uh, at least in center field and right field, exactly how that's going to look much more respectable than it did this past year. But I think when you have 
you know, an, an incredible prospect like Jimenez coming up and ready to take over in, in what was a really a problem position last year in left field. Um, it, it pretty much has to look better. Yeah, 2019 is going to be the year of Eloy, and I'm very excited. I think everyone is very excited. But sometimes with that excitement, Pinos, we expect too much from rookies as they adjust to the major leagues. So what are the realistic expectations White Sox fans should have for Eloy Jimenez in 2019? I think the realistic expectation is that he's going to be an awesome hitter. Um, I I think that that might be – it sounds like maybe I'm going too high there, but – he didn't, uh, unlike Moncada, who was another Uber prospect who came came through our system at the tail end. Um, Jimenez doesn't really have the same level of questions about his bat, right? Moncada, you know, he moved it to AAA and he, he was still whiffing a good amount, but Jimenez seems like every every bit a pure hitter as you can possibly expect from a prospect. And you know, he's somebody who they moved him up to AAA rather than promoting him to the major leagues ostensibly to see if he had anything else to learn. Um, and to stall service time, of course, but um, he, he actually performed better in AAA by, by cutting that strikeout rate from the AA pitchers. So even as competition um, got more advanced with the, with better breaking stuff, he was able to he was able to improve on his contact rate. And obviously, the contact was very loud, as you can see from his stat line. So I really think he's going to hit the ground running. I think that you're probably going to see something in the neighborhood of 30 home runs and, and probably a batting average close to 300. Um, that's setting the bar pretty high um, and maybe I'm setting myself up for disappointment there, but he really does strike. He is the best chance the White Sox have had in a, in a while to come up from the minor leagues and, and just set the world on fire. Yeah. I try to keep telling everybody as good as you think Eloy Jimenez is, he's better. Like it's not even close. He's the best hitting prospect I have seen from the White Sox system. And that's that's saying something because we've seen some good outfielders come up in the White Sox farm system penals a long time ago. We weren't really paying attention to the minor leagues, but we saw Maglio or Darnias joining the White Sox and be very successful. Carlos Lee, Carlos Lee was a great hitter for the White Sox as well. Uh, but but Eloy is special. One of the things that I'm always amazed about with Eloy Pinoles is his opposite field power. I think that's going to surprise some White Sox fans that he's just not a pull power hitter. He's going to dump some in the right field bullpen, maybe even in the new Goose Island uh, out in right field. So, again, I, I'm with you, man. I am super excited for Eloy Jimenez in 2019. Uh, but I guess we have to float back down to reality uh, we're not going to see Jimenez until the earliest mid-April, which means that this outfield for the first two weeks, sorry for chuckling, uh, is going to be interesting. So I want to start in center field because I don't have a firm grasp of what's going on at this position at the moment. Many say that the signing of John J. Pinos means the end of Adam Engel. But Jay has been playing the corners mostly the last two seasons At the age of 34, I have doubts that he still has the range for center field. With that being said, and knowing that Adam Engel really can't hit Major League Pitching, what are your thoughts about the White Sox center field position at the moment? I don't think Adam Engel is going anywhere until the White Sox present their roster with something that resembles a Major League starting caliber center fielder. And they they failed to do that consistently since Engel essentially took over the job by default. Um, I don't know that that's the worst thing in the world, at, at, at least uh, you know from the outset of this season. Um, it, it's good that we have somebody like Angle who's going to be a stabilizing defensive presence among um, some questionable options. I know they're talking about putting Palka out there, which I, I'm frankly I'm frightened of. And uh, Jimenez, you know, the, the scouting report says he's probably going to be average at best defensively. So I think that uh, I, I think that uh, having Angle out there is going to do wonders. Uh, for uh, for the pitching staff uh, when there's some questionable options uh, that the White Sox have at their disposal. Uh, John Jay in center field, uh, I, I like Jay's defense a good deal in a corner. I, I think he's stretched in center, particularly at this point in his career. Um, I do think that he, you know, he can he can maybe hang out there, you know, once once every couple of weeks, maybe twice every couple of weeks, um, just to you know for that extra versatility and to sometimes get Angle's bat out of the lineup. Um, but I mean, quite frankly, John Jay's bat isn't a, even even a tremendous upgrade over Adam Engel. I mean, he's he's a better hitter, but 
he, he's not somebody that you, you put in to, over the defensive guy just to get some extra offense here. I mean, John Jay is here because we're trying to recruit Manny Machado. And I think that the White Sox are probably not going to have any designs on jamming him into the lineup when it doesn't make sense. Yeah, John Jay at this stage of his career is very much like Juan Pierre. Slap hitter, right? Singles, yeah. get some walks. Yep. Doesn't doesn't steal bases like Juan Pierre, but uh, I agree with you. There's not much power at all in John Jay's bat, so it'll be interesting to see how Rick Renteria uses him. So at this moment, you still think that maybe on opening day, Adam Engel is the starting center fielder for the White Sox? I mean, if with the roster is currently constructed, I would be surprised if Angle wasn't starting in center field on opening day, um, unless I, 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 I know I can't even couch that. I really don't see what better solution the White Sox have. All right. Well, let's move over to the corners then. Again, we don't expect to see Jimenez until halfway through April, which means we have a position battle. And here are your participants. Lurie Garcia, Nikki Delmonico, Daniel Polka, Ryan Cordell, Charlie Tilson, and now former Cleveland Indians outfielder Brandon Geyer, who is signed to a minor league contract with an invite to spring training. All right, Penals, that is six names I gave you for two spots, and I'm sure the White Sox will carry four outfielders on the 25-man roster to start 2019 uh, I guess let's start in right field. Uh, who do you think is the leader that could possibly be the opening day starter there? Yeah, that's that part is pretty challenging. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say that they probably run Polka out there. Um, well, actually, it, it, it depends what they do in left field, right? Because they don't really have anything firm for, for left field either, given that um, you know Eloy is still going to be in the minor leagues. Um, so I, I could potentially see them running, let's say, a, a J – uh, Polka angle outfield out there on opening day, but but realistically, it's uh, I think that d- divvying up that playing time in right field over the course of the season is going to be an adventure because it doesn't just bleed into it's not just the right field playing time we're talking about. I think that essentially between center field, right field, even first base and DH, you're talking about having about six guys on the roster for four positions, and you figure that one of those positions first base is going to feature a guy in Jose Abreu that's not going to come out of the lineup much. So really, there, there's going to be a lot of juggling going on between Adam Angle, Larry Garcia, um, you know, John Jay, uh, Daniel Palka, and Yonder Alonso, and trying to fit all those guys into the lineup. Um, I, I think that we can cross Ryan Cordell off the list. I, I don't see him as a threat to crack the roster. I, I, I don't see him as a threat to AAA pitching, and I, I could see him washing out relatively quickly. Um, he's kind of an older guy. He's kind of had um, you know, a lot of chances at this point. I, I don't really know much about I, – I really don't see him making much of an impact. Um, and Charlie Tilson, I, I think that the writing's on the wall there. Um, he, he had his shot last year over an extended period of time and, and really blew it on both sides of the ball. Um, so he, he's going to have to do quite a bit at AAA to, to convince anybody that he's worth talking about on the major league roster. And I think that Brandon Geyer is probably the White Sox best uh, hitting option of that mix um, for, against left-handed pitching. Um, so he, I think at the very least on the opening day roster, when, uh, before they have to figure out who's going to get the ax when Eloy comes up, I think that Geyer certainly at least initially has a role and then maybe injuries will, will sort things out from there. Um, but I think that it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Nicky Delmonico because, um, like you mentioned, that the odds are that they're probably going to carry those four outfielders. I mean, you figure Larry Garcia is going to make the roster. Adam Angle's going to make the roster. Um, I, I feel like they're high enough on – I feel like you know with the, all the fans loving Balka, I think that it would be really hard to spin some sort of way that he's not on the 25-man roster to start the year. Um, so he'll be there, and then you got John Jay, and then potentially Brandon Geyer if they're going to fit another guy in. I, I, with Yonder Alonso on the team, along with Polka, I really don't see a position for Nicky Delmonico or really a need for another guy batting from the left side um, that doesn't really have much of a defensive home. So I think I, I think Nicky Delmonico is on the outside looking in for the 25-man roster. He's got a few options left. He's got three options. So Nicky Delmonico can play for the Charlotte Knights, but it was just not, it was a couple of years ago. Domonico had a good August in, in September. He impressed. We thought, Hey, maybe this guy can be a fixture on a future contending White Sox team. 
and then 2018 happened. Uh, you mentioned Charlie Tilson missing his window of possibly being a future contributor to the Chicago White Sox in the long term. Has Nicky Delmonico's window closed on him as well? I think there's a good chance that it has. Um, it's unfortunate because I really was excited about him a little over a year ago. And I think that just this past season, the White Sox have seen not only some other comparable um, options emerge in the form of, uh, you know, not only bringing in Alonzo, but also having Daniel Polka hit the ball as hard as he did last year. So Polka at this point is more interesting than Delbonico. Uh, Nicky didn't really make the strides defensively that I felt like he needed to make if he wanted to stick around. And uh, even though he, he hit the ball really well in July and August this past year, um, all of that was really undone by his last like five, six weeks of the season where he was just absolutely dreadful. And that, that I think might've sealed his fate because he doesn't have much of a case right now. Yeah. I forgot in that last five, six weeks of the season to send uh, a, a tweet uh, about that, because uh, I I am responsible for his hot streak, you know, so if you did not know that, uh, I'm kidding. Well, I'm responsible Anyways. for him cooling down because I wrote the article saying he should get the most playing time the rest of the way, and I think that cursed him. <laughs> yeah, I had the reverse curse going, right? Uh, he was proving me wrong, and then... You write an article and then he cools off. So we'll have to schedule something to help out Nikki Domonico uh, in 2019 penals. Yep. Uh, Louis Garcia. I- I'm sure Ricky Renteria is going to get questions about Louis Garcia during spring training. And I don't know. I don't have a good grasp either on how Renteria wants to use Louis Garcia. I thought Louis Garcia is someone that you can put in left field, in center field at times. And he has a good bat where he can contribute at least half the time. Do you see a spot on the bench for Garcia? Is he the fourth outfielder? Or because the fact that you will have Jay in left, maybe uh, Engel in center and Polka in right, and you got Yonder Alonzo, uh, he might be the DH. I mean, you already carry three outfielders. Oh, Brandon Geyer's one that you said that could have a possible role. On opening day. So let's say that's true. It's Geyer, Polka, Engel, and Jay. Do you see Garcia still sticking around and helping on the outfield? Or is he also somebody that could be the odd man out? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't see Garcia being the odd man out because his versatility is big on a team that often likes to carry eight pitchers for some reason. So um, just having somebody who can move between the infield and the outfield will let Rick Renteria, um, you know, manage the game differently than he, he maybe could have. Um, but, you know, he's kind of like a forgotten man. Like when I said, when I said Geyer might be able to make the roster, I might've, uh, I might've miscalculated a little bit because his, his presence, um, I think that uh, Larry Garcia's presence make, might make that difficult from a numbers perspective, just because you got to carry a second catcher and backup infielder, so, um, you know, maybe he, maybe Geyer actually is the victim of a numbers game here, but, uh, with Garcia getting tendered a contract, I, I feel like there's very, there's probably not much, many ways he's not going to make the opening day roster. Um, I think it would probably take some sort of injury or, um, you know, some, something just not looking right in spring training. So I, I think he'll be there. All right. We did get a Patreon question here from Andrew Siegel and Andrew's asking P Knowles following up on a comment from Jim, on a previous podcast, should we or could we see Luis Basabe or Mike Rodolfo in August or September to see how they fare against Major League Pitching while they still have options remaining after this year? Um, I, I guess maybe I'll answer Rodolfo first. I, I see that as really unlikely for him. Um, I, I mean, Adolfo, he had a good season hitting in high A just now, but even though he's already on the 40-man roster, the White Sox have established this slower track record of moving prospects. Um, I think that he is maybe a guy that might see some time in the 2020 season, but I think it'd be really quick if if they promoted him so fast that he wound up on the roster in September. Um, With with Basabe, that might be more of a possibility for me simply because he's already tasted double-A and he's he, he he wasn't really overwhelmed by double A, so I think that he might have a chance to um if he if he starts out hot, he might have a chance to be in triple A um earlier on in the season and he might be able to push for a call up at the end of the year. Uh particularly because, you know, the White Sox haven't really done anything to solve that center field problem and 
he might be the the first he might be the first challenger real challenger that Adam Engels had for playing time. So uh, I could I could definitely see uh, Basabe getting some time late in this season. Um, however, given how slow they've they've chosen to move other hitters in the past, it really wouldn't surprise me if they pass on that on the uh, um, if they pass on the option to promote him. Yeah, both Basabe and Adolfo have two options left. So if they don't get called up this year, heading to the 2020 season, they only have one option remaining. And I know Jim and I have talked about this when they are both placed in the 40-man roster to avoid them getting selected in the Rule 5 draft. But I wonder if that decision to put both of them on the 40-man roster is going to backfire. Because you're really putting yourself in a in a in a bind here, right? If you're the White Sox, if you're Rick Hahn, that yes, you are hopeful that Basabe and Adolfo could be major leaguers, but if you wanted to give them a test try and then option them to Charlotte, just in case that they need to work on something after facing major league pitching for a month or so, uh, you're, you're running out of time to do that. It seems like unlike Nicky Monaco, who's got three options left. Yeah, I mean that's certainly going to be a challenge, and it's something that's I think going to come to a head around you know, the 2020-2021 timeframe because um, I, I think that it, it's pretty likely that you know at least one of the two is going to need some minor league time in 2020, and then you're going to be left with a situation in 2021 where you know it's kind of use it or lose it, and there's going to be a situation where you kind of got to decide whether this person is ready enough and, and ready to compete on a team that theoretically should be a contender or whether they're going to hold, you feel like they might hold you back enough that you might risk losing them. So um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate um, that they had to, that they were put on so quickly for that reason. Um, obviously with the Padres claiming seemingly everything in sight, um, there, there probably was some risk of, either of those guys getting taken. So I, I guess I can understand the level of urgency there, but this is, that's certainly going to be an unfortunate consequence. Yeah. I mean, if Mike Rodolfo gets hurt again this year and misses significant time penals, I mean, come 2021, the White Sox will have no choice, right? They're going to have to throw Adolfo out there, whether he's ready or not, or they're going to have to waive him. And then he could be on somebody else's major league roster and will really not know what it possibly could have been with Mike Rodolfo with the White Sox. So hopefully he can stay healthy and uh, hopefully these, uh, these options that are burning up right now for Masabe and Adolfo uh, doesn't create future headaches, but great question, Andrew. And then finally to recap, as far as the segment, you know, we started with the question, can the 2019 White Sox outfield be better than 2018? We think so because of Eloy Jimenez, but out of everyone that we spoke about, other than Jimenez, Pinos, who do you think could, I don't want to say breakout, but could have a, who is most likely to have a surprising season to help carry the load? Um, I mean, I'd say, gosh, of the options on hand, uh, it, it, it stinks to say this, but I'm, I'm actually probably going to have to say Adam Engel. And, and the reason is, is that he's already got one carrying tool um, that kind of gives him a relatively stable floor. Um, he's, he's likely to perform slightly at above replacement level, even if he doesn't improve a lick at the plate. Um, but he, he's the guy who, I mean, with, with a combination of his defense and some uptick in hitting, uh, he probably stands the best chance of breaking out. I mean, the other guys like Larry Garcia is getting hurt every other week. Um, you know, Palka, I, I don't think he's ever going to be a good enough outfielder to really be much of a surprise, like league average or better player. And then Geyer and Jay are kind of on the you know the wrong side of their careers to be providing that sort of surprise season. So uh, for lack of a better option, I, I think I'm going to say Adam Engel. Yeah, again, he does have an elite skill. He can play defense with the best of them. He was nominated for a gold glove. And uh, I agree with you about Daniel Polka. He's better suited to be the DH instead of in right field where defensively would hurt his overall value. Uh, but again, for whatever reason, Rick Hahn decided that he needed Yonder Alonso on this roster uh, <laughs> to take up some DH at bats uh, instead of seeing Polka every day at DH. So we'll see how this outfield goes. We'll be tracking it all spring training and during the regular season. This is a unit that must get better if the White Sox are going to seriously make this transition from rebuilder to contender in the upcoming seasons. And you could, with Pinos, we'll have you back on again for the 2019 season predictions next month. 
But meanwhile, you can read his always excellent work on SoxMachine.com, and you can follow Penoles on Twitter. He's at SoxMock underscore Penoles. And as always, Penoles, thanks for coming on the show. As always, it was a great time. Thanks, Josh. That will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. I want to thank our guest, Keith Law of ESPN.com, for being gracious with his time and breaking down his prospect rankings for the Chicago White Sox and Pinoles for helping preview the 2019 Chicago White Sox outfield. Next week, we'll have our best friend of the podcast, Dan Zaborski on from Fangraphs.com as he'll join the show to share the 2019 Zips projections for the White Sox. And Jim and I will be previewing the White Sox starting pitchers for the 2019 season. If you just discovered the podcast, you can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening to the Sox Machine Podcast. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.